Now the holidays have come and gone and your little Christmas vacation is long in the past. You've been walking through these woods for what feels like months. Out in the distance, you think you hear some cars passing. You think you might hear some music. Finally, finally, you're going to leave these woods. You step out onto the highway and you see people walking all around and you're so relieved you don't know what to do, but then you realize they don't look like people. They're all wearing these masks and the music is so loud. And one of them looks up at you and says, Eh, Mara de Grau! And you realize it's carnival, that you are still an outlandish pack. Hey guys, welcome to Outlandish Parish. Today me and Jonas are going to be talking about Mardi Gras. But before we get that conversation as winding and crazy a road as it is, I just wanted to let you guys know that you can go ahead and look for us on Spotify now. I've started creating some playlists using some of the podcast resources that I've used as well as some additional resources for you to learn more about because, man, the weird and wild of Mardi Gras, that is a... As you're going to hear us say many times in this episode, that is a lot of topic. We definitely don't cover every nuance of Mardi Gras. It's too big a thing to cover. But if you want to learn more, you can go to Spotify, look for Outlandish Parish Mardi Gras playlist, and you should be able to find us. We will have a link in the show notes. And other than that, thank you for those of you who are sharing, for those of you who are bearing with us as we find our way in this first season of Outlandish Parish, figuring out the stories that we're going to be releasing. And thank you all for Sticking around. Thank y'all for making the video with us. All right, so today we're talking about Mardi Gras, perhaps the most uniquely Louisiana holiday in the world, but only the way we do it. Mardi Gras is not exclusive to Louisiana, but we are a very, very well-known. People come here for it. But Mardi Gras, dude, we were talking a second ago, Mardi Gras is complicated. It is. (laughs) There's a lot of aspects of Mardi Gras, a lot of different ways to do Mardi Gras, depending on where you are as well. The city's different than the bayou. Oh, yeah. So how's the date set for Mardi Gras? Because that's one thing that's universal about it, right? The date. Everybody does okay. it on this, as far as Louisiana goes, anyway. So I always joke that, like, the way that Easter moves, it's like Catholic voodoo, right? Because it's, it's <laughs> yeah. based on the full moon. Like, ah, the paganism of Catholicism. The paganism of it, right? That whole, con- oh, we, yeah. there's so much paganism in Mardi Gras. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much. Basically, Ash Wednesday is 46 days before Easter. Okay, okay. That, that's when Ash Wednesday is. It is 46 days before Easter. Ash Wednesday is the opening of Lent. It is the day after Fat Tuesday. But Easter is determined by the first full moon that happens on or after the March equinox. So it gets a little complicated. So like that's why this year Mardi Gras is February 13th. And Super early for a Mardi Gras. Yeah, like I think year after next is going to be like on the 9th. But it can also be like all the way into March. So mm-hmm. it's based on the full moon. And the date of Easter is the first Sunday after the, the full moon following the spring equinox. 
Write that down, everybody. <laughs> it will be, the equinox usually is on the 21st or 22nd, but then those full yeah. moons can be a little, you know, it's the moon. She likes yeah, to change. She does. So that's why Mardi Gras can be so absolutely so variable. And there that are some sense. static dates inside of that. Mm-hmm. Ash Wednesday, but there, there are years when you've got to eat all your king cake in like six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and there are years where you are eating king cake for what feels like two months. And yeah. oh, you're goodness. just tired of the king cake by the time it's done. Although I am <laughs> proud to say the Cajun Pecan House on the Facebook challenge, the New Orleans uh, bracket competitions. Yeah, how's that going? Oh, dude, we are we are staying in there with all the New Orleans people. Cajun Pecan House, nice. I will die on this hill. Best is that down cake. Lafouche? I'm, I don't know it's that. It's down one. Lafouche. Miss Velvet runs it. I've been eating them my whole life, yeah. and dang, they just good. She ships internationally. Well, I'm oh, gonna put cool. a link well, in the show notes for Cajun Yeah, Pecan check House. it out because I might have to get. I don't have uh, <laughs> I don't have king cake everywhere where I am up here. So my mom sends one once a year thankful for that but yeah I'd love, it's usually from canadas or something like that but i'm not i might have to try miss velvet skin cake from down oh, lafouche so, i literally i'll ask a random person walking past me at a book festival one time i was like where's the best king cakes and the guy just i didn't know him he just yells cajun pecan house in galleanna i was like see see like, <laughs> so what's your favorite the kind then like what's your personal favorite kind of king cake is it like just a traditional or like a cream filled or i like a cream filled but that has to be in every once in a while that has yeah. to be in every once in a while. That can't be like yeah. every slice of king cake can't be filled with cream yeah, yeah. or lemon. Um, I like I like an old fashioned king cake. I like mine without too too much icing on top. Mm-hmm. Like if it, if you can't see the cake under yeah, the frosting, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, it's got to be a damn good frosting to cover the whole king cake. I, I do agree. Yeah, with that. but there's some places they got that that cr- stacked up on top, and I'm like, yeah. yeah. But um, I don't know. We make king cakes at home. I cheat. I use like cans of cinnamon rolls and to be completely honest it's not going to taste that much different from like a big box store sort of king cake if you just get a bunch of cinnamon rolls right no i get it put them in a pan in a circle you know the king cake is something that has like the rest of mardi gras it's got all these different roots and it's definitely Mm -hmm. its own thing yeah so where's that originate from the king cake itself so the king cake comes from what's called the galette de roi which is literally translates to king cake but it's like everything else that came from France and then filtered through all the different cultures to mm-hmm. what is now in Louisiana. It it went through a really interesting transition. I will say that if anybody wants a breakdown of just the history of Mardi Gras, there are some amazing podcasts that I listen to. Um, I actually made a Spotify playlist featuring some of them, and we will have links in mm-hmm. the show notes that you could we could do a whole episode just on the history of king cake but basically it started <laughs> out as a galette de roi which is like a, yeah. a layered almost like a baklava sort of cake like multiple mm-hmm. layers with that cinnamon crust well it wasn't cinnamon back kind in the day flaky like yeah, layers flaky crust. yeah yeah it, it looks like a tart it's a flatter cake but it is round and we do have the tradition of having the king of the bean we do have the tradition of what we would consider now the king cake baby is one of those things that stayed even though the cake around it changed that aspect is something that stayed. Okay, so that's been since basically the tradition of king cakes, the the putting the baby or the, what did you say, the bean inside? It was a bean originally. Okay. It became a baby over time, but it Mm -hmm. was originally a bean, and this was one of those practices that was used in a bunch of different festivals. So the term carnival itself, where does that come from? Okay, so I was always raised thinking of carnival coming from from the Latin, like, mm-hmm. uh, if you look at, like, old Latin, it was a term called carnum lavare. And please, dear God, if okay. anyone actually speaks mean? Latin. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
uh, it means taking away of the meat, right? So okay. Lent is the Catholic season of abstinence. It's the Catholic season of sacrifice. Yeah, and that so sense. that makes sense, right? Letting go of the yep. meat, carnival. There were some kind of weird plays with it when we were younger, like Candyman 2 was called Farewell to the Flesh. Mm-hmm. And um, some people in New Orleans that get into that sort of more hedonistic side of Mardi Gras will kind of like right. focus on the carnality and the... the right, because it's in the name, right? Religion. Carnivore, carnality, right? Carnival, but, yeah. But then I'm doing this research and I find out that there were also other Latin words, uh-huh. carnualia which was a type of game that the peasants used to play that were a source associated with these festivals like eons ago. And there's also mm-hmm. a Caris Navalis. That interest. Yeah. That one's interesting to me. Yeah. It Go means ahead. ships on wheels. So <laughs> which is like a float, right? Yeah. It's a float. So, I mean, I'm going to say unless Marty McFly and a DeLorean shows up, we're not going to be able to go back and like, assault a french peasant and get him to explain the we need the flux capacitor that's it yeah and bill and ted to show up that's oh, like a bill dude. and ted adventure that's more than a marty mcfly like. yeah <laughs> but i do like the idea but it seems like it might be like maybe the words were just so similar that they mm-hmm. they groove together like maybe yeah. for them yeah oh of course we're having the carnival but i'm having my caris navalis and they're just like talking smack to each other between the right. guy that play wants to on party. words yeah yeah cool. and the guy that wants to like just make a really fancy float so um (laughs) we all got the same memo but just did different things yeah we just just went different directions with the project and but carnival brought it all together yeah carnival and mardi gras it's funny they've almost bifurcated in my mind because carnival to me now that i've done all this research for the show now i think of that like urban pageantry and mardi Mm -hmm. gras is definitely sitting way more like rural and like small town celebrations like the places that call it a mardi gras before like and don't really use carnival very much you're you're Mm -hmm. finding cultures that don't have that same amount of pageantry like they don't have a cajun carnival they have the cajun mardi gras well, growing up, I mean, being rural like you and I both were, I never heard, I didn't hear a carnival until like I started hearing it on like New Orleans television or something like that, you know? Yeah. I've always called it Mardi Gras because that's what we called it down the bottom. Oh, Mardi Gras, <laughs> I guess I should explain. Mardi Gras means Fat Tuesday. Like that's Mardi, Jeudi, Mardi, Mercredi, Vendredi. Like those mm-hmm. are the days of the week in Cajun French. Mardi yeah. is Tuesday and Gras. It was big. So Mardi de Gras just means Fat Tuesday. And I find that when you're looking at the places that have a smaller celebration, they use that term Mardi de Gras. And the places that have like stadiums with light displays, you know, they tend to have the carnival. Yeah, I, I know that's not the case. I know the terms are interchangeable, but in my mind, at least, they've kind of started to like take different paths, go into different uh, Venn diagram directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, we are now in the age of communication. And so like, it's easy to know what everybody's kind of doing. You know, you look on whatever Instagram, Facebook, and you see what those people and wherever they are are doing. But at that time, everybody, like we said, kind of alluded to earlier, just did their own thing from, you know, the traditions that they wanted to uphold or create, I guess, at the time. It does all go back pretty far. If you look at the timeline of the evolution of Mardi Gras and Carnival, it's evolving through the French line. You're looking at the places that France occupied. That's where these traditions uh, stuck. 
So what years are we talking here to give everybody an idea? Are we talking? Ooh, like, we're talking about ooh, those yeah. lovely colonial times uh, when <laughs> when when just white people went around and said, "I've got a flag. It's yeah, mine 1600s. now." Yeah, 1600s. 1600s, Oh wow! If you go back far enough, uh, mm -hmm. oddly enough, I, we come back to um, coming back to our Rougarou, our first episode. We come back to Lupercalia. If you look at the European, specifically like the French practices, it sounds like the festival from middle of February, right? It was mm -hmm. the Roman festival. It celebrated carnality. It celebrated the, depending on the area, uh, you're looking at either the beginning of the planting season, like you're using up the last of the winter stores. It's that first, that first spring, right? Where everybody's kind right. of like getting into their thing. Yeah, excited to be back out in the world kind of thing. And what's to come for the yeah thawing of everything. <laughs> You're seeing things in Lupercalia. Like people like to say that Lupercalia turned into Valentine's Day. But... So what is Lupercalia exactly? Because I'm hearing this word and I'm not quite familiar with it, to be honest with you. I remember us saying it, but not what it is. Yeah. Lupercalia is, it's an old, old Roman festival. It was mostly in Rome, but as, as Rome spread, this festival spread. But it was a cleansing and a health and fertility rite. Um, Lupercalia, it celebrated the wolf. You know, we're talking about Romulus and Remus. Yes. We are talking about the practices of revering the wolf in... Roman culture, but it was like an early 90s, like pre-cell phone rave that lasted multiple days. This was a Roman festival. This was this was well before the church got established. Um, you're talking about going back at, you know, documentation as far as the 6th century BCE. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, this, wow, is, this is yeah, such an old festival. Real old. Yeah. But this is where you see a lot of the traditions that eventually came to be part of what became Mardi Gras. You're looking at inversion of rule. You're looking at the peasant games. You're looking at lots of feasting. Romans weren't really big on fasting. So that's sort of, you know, they don't really have an equivalent of the Lenten season. That would be sort of a, a juxtaposition. But with Lupercalia, you're looking at a very, very old primal event that it's one of those events that yes got translated through christianity yes changed and morphed as all holidays do but it seems like it comes at a point of the year where i think people need it like yeah. today outside it's beautiful and i think there's something about this time of year where winter's not quite over but you know that spring is starting to show mm -hmm. you know a little bit and i think that there's something within us as humans that that calls to it and when you have a festival that coincides with that i think that that's something that it may change and it may shift but there's something about that time in the year yeah absolutely well you're leaving hibernation kind of and like you know flowers are about to start blooming and the world will be plentiful again kind of thing right so yeah i think it is encoded in our dna or just our yeah. it's, some, our it's something box. about us it's 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 like a <clears throat> circadian rhythm on a, on yeah. a year-long cycle and right. what you really happen is, of course, like with everything else, it's a complicated history. But basically, Lupercalia got incorporated into the Christian faith and then translated. But we don't really see something that is called a Mardi Gras or a carnival until there was an Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday was established in 1091. So you can really say that Mardi Gras oh, wow. okay. started in 1091 because that's when Ash Wednesday started. And 
I thought this was so cool. Ash Wednesday started in Western Europe before it was adopted by Rome. So again, you're looking at stuff that's like the church didn't start Ash Wednesday. This isn't a ceremony or a ritual that started in Rome. It was a ceremony and a ritual that began in Western Europe, that began in places like France and Germany and those Western European traditions. Mm. They incorporated it into their Christian worship and into their Christian church. And then the church eventually was like, fine, all these people are rubbing ashes on their foreheads. Let's go with it. All right, just go with it. And, (laughs) you know, that was the year that they said, okay, Ash Wednesday is a thing. And then from there we see now that the church was on board, that's when you really see these sort of not universal, but much more Christian ideology integrated celebrations of Mardi Gras because it's kind of bookended. Um, Okay. We've got 12th night, January 6th. That's ours. Nobody else owns January 6th. We own January 6th. That is the celebration of 12th night. And that's the opening of the carnival season that you don't see king cakes for sale before January 6th. Um, There are certain traditions that go around with that. And that is the night of the visitation of the Magi to the Christ child, right? That's what I learned in Catholic school. And that's the opening of the carnival season. So it seems like they just had these two really cool parties and they just kind of kept them going because every year you see carnival, like it used to be just on Mardi Gras or just on uh, Candlemas, which we'll get to in a minute. But then you just see like, as these traditions evolve, the whole, it becomes a season instead of just these individual days. Mm. Yeah, Like the original Christmas creep. It was originally Mardi Gras creep. But it evolved, you know, like Christmas today, right? From our Christmas episode, none of them talked about, you know, having a round white guy with a beard. You know, that came from a poem. Mm-hmm. Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, came from a pop culture poem. So all of our holidays evolve. We just live in a time where we've seen it evolve in our lifetime. Well, I guess more our parents. because yeah. You know, our parents and grandparents saw Christmas change completely from their childhood to now. And Mardi Gras is proving to be the same. Like we're seeing Mardi Gras evolving, you know, from talking to my mom and talking to other members of my community, how Mardi Gras was different from when they were younger to now. Because we've got the big gorilla in our room. We've got New Orleans. You know, we've got New Orleans. Exactly. And that kind of detracts. I mean, as far as the tension from the country, that kind of detracts from every other, you know, version of Mardi Gras there is. So New Orleans Mardi Gras as a thing, uh, obviously that's where everybody's <laughs> as a thing. It's a huge thing. Um, that's where everybody's okay. attention goes when they think Mardi Gras, right? Uh, even where I am up here in the north right now, people think Mardi Gras. They think New Orleans Mardi Gras, which is a huge deal. Obviously, I've been there during Mardi Gras Day, and it is it's epic as far as like any kind of Mardi Gras experience I've ever had. Way different than the Chauvin Parade, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, you know, every bit is crowded. Every bit, of, you ain't no place to pee on Mardi Gras day. Whatever the song is, that is very true. It's 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 something. But uh, as far as you know, the order of everything, I've only ever been on Mardi Gras day. I know you've probably you probably know everything about the order of, of like what floats roll when. Because um, on Mardi about- Gras day, it's Rex <laughs> and Zulu, right? So. Leading up to that, it's quite a bit, though, you know. Look, back, back to this is, this was such a bigger topic than I yeah. really knew. When I, when I opened that box of king cake, I was not prepared for how sharp the knife was. 
Um, was, and the knife stays in the box. The knife just, stays in the box. <laughs> that sounds um, like such a threat. And that's what it, what's funny about that is it's like so universal now. And it's like something that everybody just did because the, the knife is like crusty and full of like sugar from the top of the king cake. But now it's like a universal thing and like a saying, a meme in itself. It is but anyway, it's yeah. hilarious. I know about New Orleans Mardi Gras the same way I know about Michigan. Like I have You're never right. been. Yeah. I don't I've seen pictures. It's kind of intimidating. I'm not mm-hmm. a I'm not a big crowds and yeah. crazy party person. Like I feel like if I was gonna go, I would have gone in my early twenties. No, well that's when I went. See, I was yeah. like twenty I was think I was twenty five, maybe. I would not I don't wanna go now. <laughs> but I will say now that we're talking about the big enchilada, I will say Mobile did have the first Mardi Gras. Like that's mm-hmm. that they, she, look, she said, you know. I said it, and I'm going to say it. I did a book on Mobile it's Mardi true. Gras. I had to go meet them. They have this lovely Mardi Gras. Aww. It is beautiful. They throw moon pies. And they did start at first, but I just as things evolve, pie. New Orleans does it bigger and better, baby, by orders of magnitude. The Mobile Mardi Gras started, and I guess we don't really think of Mobile as being a French town. Right. But, but Mobile was founded by French settlers. So it was the same people that eventually... You know, some of those families branched into New Orleans. Mobile didn't hold on to that French culture as strongly as Louisiana did. But it was started by French settlers. The The big thing that New Orleans throws a tracas about is that they say that, oh, it was first started in New Orleans because this French-Canadian explorer, Pierre Lemoyne de Breville, camped out at a place that he named Mardi Gras Point back in 1699. Looking at your calendar is not the same as throwing a parade. And if you look at the tradition <laughs> of organized parades and something that looks like a Mardi Gras celebration, not just saying we were standing on this point on point, this date. Mardi Gras point, right. Mardi Gras, hands down, mobile. I, it's just... That's, that's what, what I've read, is. too. Everything I've looked up about it has pointed back to mobile. And when, when was that? That was So that was like early 1800s for mobile to actually throw a parade? Uh, the first parade in Mobile, 1704. Okay, wow. Earlier than I thought then. So five years after Iberville stood on that point, yeah. <laughs> Mobile residents had a parade and said, this but, is Well, they fun. said Let's they celebrated. That. that was, the first, that was mm-hmm. the first society. That was the first like organized thing. But okay. Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne Sieur de Bienville, he's the one who named it part of Mardi Gras. But he established Fort de la Louisiane, which was in Mobile. You know, the same guy who said, oh, this is the Pointe de Mardi Gras. He also founded Mobile. So in 1703, the guy who named it Pointe de Mardi Gras went to Mobile and they had a celebration. But this would have looked a lot more like the traditional, like a fancy dinner ball. Right. It's more for the aristocracy, probably, and less for the, the people on the streets, seems like. It wasn't like a parade. It wasn't a public thing. Right. But then you go to 1704 the next year. This Bienville guy must have freaking loved Mardi Gras because he was one of the people <laughs> who helped to organize the first Masque de la Mobile. Like, so that's when we really start yeah. seeing 1704 is when we start seeing the secret societies, the, that's the cool. crews that's coming from a French population, but in Mobile, Alabama. You can get into stuff like the Bouffe Gras Society, where they were walking around with cowbells and doing the diab to people. So then he goes to start New Orleans. Same, same guy, same guy, started Mobile, got them going. Then he came and started up in New Orleans. But this was in 1718. So this is all within the same, like, 20-year period. This Bienville guy is just going around, like, 
opening up the, what are those little the smalls those little um slider joints that are popping up all across the country yeah. this guy is just bouncing around setting up settlements <laughs> and making sure that they are they are recognizing fat tuesday he is franchising mardi gras across the map franchising mardi gras. <laughs> and by the 1730s mardi gras was openly celebrated in new orleans but they That's weren't cool. with parades this is another yeah. one you're looking at like those first things were society balls Big, big fancy parties for yeah. the, the local elites, not necessarily a public thing in New Orleans. Are they just doing this on Fat Tuesday at that time? Or are they doing it up to Fat Tuesday for like two weeks like Mardi Gras is right now? Is that Can we find that out or is that? Near as I can tell, it would have been like, um, have you seen Bridgerton? Has, have you been roped into Bridgerton? Or I've just not. that concept of um, like a, a social season? <clears throat> You know, there was definitely going to be mm -hmm. one big party, but other people might have thrown their own little supplemental parties. But again, it wasn't okay. really anything that was organized. Once again, now we're turning it into a carnival. In the earliest reference appears in 1781 in a report to a Spanish colonial governing council. That was the year there were like organized clubs in New Orleans. Mobile still had their crews and their orders and they would have celebrations, but the first like big carnival parades are looking at 1781 as far as a documented source. And there were hundreds of clubs and carnival organizations that came out oh, with that I'd love to see what that looked like at that time though, right? Like, like man. <laughs> Weirdly enough, th this came out like this year. They just found out, now this isn't going that far back, but in the media underbelly of New Orleans, the Fox News Corporation, what is now the Fox News organization out of New Orleans, uh, Fox 8, found mm -hmm. coverage from their 1898 Mardi Gras. Wow. So we can't go that far back. We can't go back to the 1700s, but we can go back pretty far. And we will definitely have a link to that video because it's great to look at. Now, what most people in New Orleans point to as the first, like, official, fantastic crew that's still going, they're looking at Comus. Comus was the first Mardi Gras crew. And a lot of this information is coming from the official, like, MardiGrasNewOrleans.com website. So you look mm -hmm. at this crew of Comus. The crew of Comus's history is the history of, of Louisiana and New Orleans. So if you look at coverage from 1898, 1857, that's not far removed. Yeah. There's a possibility that there were people who were celebrating in 1898 who had attended that first Comus parade. So this isn't that far right, from yeah. the origins of it. Interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It looks amazing. Oh, <laughs> old so architecture cool. still there. I mean, New Orleans looks like New Orleans no matter what because it's beautiful oh God, and old and yeah. But uh, yeah, dude, that parade's so awesome. Just type in on YouTube our Mardi Gras 1898 and you'll find it. Like we yeah. said, we'll leave a link for you. But it's definitely worth checking out. And out of the, the many, many, many crews that now exist, I mean, there's, it's exhaustive. There, there are whole podcasts just on New Orleans Mardi Gras and as well there should be. But I love that the, the two traditions that exist are the opening of the carnival on January 6th, right? The opening, that 12th night beginning, the Funny 40 fellows, and they spell it with PHs, ride the streetcar. And that started in 1878, and it is still happening. Every January 6th, sometimes there are parades, sometimes there aren't, depending on what day of the week it falls. I think Joan of Arc always rolls on January 6th, no matter what. That's a, a contemporary walking parade. Okay. That is yeah, not absolutely familiar. gorgeous. Cool. Um, it's more recent. It's yeah. a historical reenactment troupe. It's awesome. They'll roll on January 6th. There might be two or three other ones, but no matter what, there's going to be the funny 40 fellows are going to be having an impromptu Mardi Gras party on a streetcar 
in New Orleans. And that's happened since 1878 to now. And who's this again? What's this group called? The Funny 40 Fellows, but it's all the spelled funny with The Funny 40 Fellows. Okay. And it's just a bunch of couillons out making the diab. Like, it's literally... <laughs> I am sure, as with everything else with Mobile and New Orleans Mardi Gras, because let me tell you, when I did my book, Mardi Gras in Alabama, I went and toured the Mardi Gras Museum in Mobile, and that is awesome. And Mardi Gras World in New Orleans is awesome. But when you go to the Mardi Gras History Museum in Mobile, they really present like the grandeur and the odd fellows, Masonic, like secret society aspects of it. Mm, Like there was one guy, I will never forget this. He commissioned custom porcelain plates painted with golden bees just for his inauguration dinner to become the king of one of those, one of their crews, one of their orders. Cool. I'm going to have to check like, that out. Could you imagine just I'm ordering these gold encrusted plates just for this one party. And now they're just in the museum. They were used for that one party. That's it. They have like wow. ancestral furs that are taken off of old costumes and then put in cold storage until their great, 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 whatever granddaughter has her turn as the queen of the crew of the uh, order. And then they'll use them on her train or her gown. Like the ceremony, the pomp and circumstance that Mobile uh-huh. and New Orleans as well bring to these parades is just absolutely insane and and if this is intriguing to you at all please dear god you will dedicate the month of your life to researching this and you will not have scratched the surface there's just so much but i mean when you went to mardi gras in new orleans did you feel more like a tourist or like a native oh definitely more like a tourist even though you know i'm from two hours south of there i was just you know just soaking it all in kind of like yeah and like i said i was 25 years old so i definitely went with different intentions to party more than to uh, (laughs) understand it right but at the same time i did definitely understand it in a different capacity after that as far as like the grandeur of it all and you know how serious some of the even some of the spectators take it so seriously you know it's not just the people in the balls it's like everybody everywhere is dressed up crazy and like in these elaborate costumes and like or lack thereof in many situations as well yeah (laughs) but it's just like everything everything in new orleans that you think you're gonna see you're gonna see it and then some basically did you go to like it was like a big parade like you went to rex uh yeah i went to rex and zulu um on mardi gras day and that was freaking beautiful I'm so intimidated by New Orleans Mardi Gras. Like the only New Orleans Mardi Gras I've ever been to was um, my mom and a lot of the female members of my family would ride in Nick's and Nick's has now gone. There's been some weird like scandal crap with a lot of contemporary Mardi Gras crews. And I'm not getting into the, what happened with Nick's, but a lot of women in my family rode, but I was, I was in my baby phase. So I didn't as a phase in my life where I was riding on any parades. Right. But that's it. That's all I've ever been to because it's so much. But what I love, and as I've been spending more time in the city in the last year, I want to go to those little walking parades, right? I talked about Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. And Joan of Arc is actually partnered with the city of Orléans, France. And one of my, okay. a good friend of mine is a co-founder of the parade. It's a contemporary. It's, it's a recent addition. But they push the Joan of Arc. They push that sort of French peasant imagery. There's a lot of like, historically minded women in the crew and they it's a walking parade and those walking parades are so cool i mean we have chewbacca's is all nerds they have crew to who they (laughs) have crew without will they and the crews so there's a parade like chewbacca's and then there's little individual organized groups called crews and especially in the walking parades they'll just as long as they're all walking in the same direction do whatever the hell you want to do 
That's pretty. That's kind of how Mardi Gras parades work. Those little walking parades work yeah, in New Orleans. Absolutely, and I feel like any parades kind of like that, you know, because you got yeah. everybody's different bands. You got all the people dressed up in the yeah. Anyway, but the walking as long as everybody's walking in the same direction, we that's good. right. <laughs> <laughs> and every parade has their own flavor, but I feel like if you've only seen like the huge mega crews, I'm not sure that you've seen You're everything right, yeah. that New Orleans has to offer as far as absolutely. even just as far as Mardi Gras. It's so much. It's overwhelming. I, I don't really want to go to New Orleans Mardi Gras. Like, I'm maybe no. when I'm older, maybe I'll have a midlife crisis when I'm sixty and feel like I need to go. But right now, I'm like, I'm good. I'm, yeah. I'm happy. I don't need to. Well, go Well, you're definitely making an intriguing case for these walking parades. I pulled up a video of uh, Jean d'Arc too. I'm hoping to be in it next year. I was really I couldn't be in it cool. this year. Well, I couldn't be in it this year. We had a conflict of scheduling. But um, I basically got a standing invitation to be in Joan of Arc, and I really, really want to be in it. Nice. Like you said, it looks a lot more. It looks a lot more historical, historically minded, maybe. Like you said, than the big. It's still a Mardi Gras parade. It's still going to be like a bunch of people in in costumes, and I think that's something that yeah. talking about the big crews and how people take it seriously or not seriously. You know, this goes back to my argument about Lupercalia. Like any given weekend in carnival season, you're going to see people out whether there's a parade or not in New Orleans. Not so much in small towns, but in New Orleans on any given weekend and not just tourists. I'm talking about locals. It's an excuse to yeah. be as weird as you can and be like, oh, it's Mardi Gras season. And then like, yeah, there's a guy on a giant tricycle wearing a Wookiee mask and a thong. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. And that's it's it's Mardi Gras season, whatever. He's, as long as he's got like a bead on somewhere, like people are just gonna not even pay him a second thought. It is, everything true. is normal during that time of year. <laughs> yeah, there's something almost comforting about seeing that, you know, when you're in the city. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the right place. That's right. Okay. But you know what's crazy is as big as New Orleans Mardi Gras is, if you ever see what the stuff that they do in like Carnival, I'm talking like like Brazil and like yeah. Brazil and. stuff. We're talking like it's the Super Bowl. It's mm -hmm. it's not even a parade anymore. It's a spectacle. You're talking about bringing these these floats through like a giant stadium arena yeah, and having wild. people packed to the rafters like it's an LSU game. <laughs> just watching these floats and the, the costuming is it's so much the sheer work hours that must go into some of these costumes are overwhelming. The closest thing New Orleans is going to have is going to be something like the Mardi Gras Indians mm. and the Mardi Gras Indians. For those of you who don't know, it's the complicated history in Louisiana between people of color, colonialists, Creole. It's a very difficult thing to suss out, especially with the parameters of what we're doing today. But Basically, very, 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 very basically, the African population in New Orleans wanted to honor the indigenous populations that helped them. And so they adopted this concept of the Mardi Gras Indian, and it's its own culture in and of its own right. It's a family tradition. It's a neighborhood tradition. It is something that, it, that belongs to the black community of New Orleans. And their costuming is based on beadwork. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, this, these traditions started before we could Google search images. We're talking about a tradition that came up at a time when people of color were definitely denied access to education, information in the way that the white population was. So the black community took what they knew of the indigenous communities and translated it. And the beadwork that they do is competitively ornate. 
It's so elaborate. It's beautiful. It really is. Feather work, bead work. Yeah. If you haven't seen that, Google that. If too. you've ever seen like an African-American person uh, or New Orleans, a black New Orleanian wearing like an outfit, like the big crest of feathers. And mm -hmm. until you're up close with these things, even a picture of this would not do it justice. Because until you're up close to it, you don't see it. It's all hand stitched. It's all handmade. Families spend years sometimes working on a single costume, and it is absolutely gorgeous. And yeah. that's something, when you look at the Mardi Gras Indian tradition, that's the closest thing I can find to those huge Trinidadian and South American traditions. To me, the Mardi Gras Indians are, the, are some of the few crews that really, really, it's not just about making a display. It's about that craft, and it's about making it. But when you get to the, the global carnivals, I understand New Orleans is really popular, but at the same time, like, oh my gosh, these Caribbean and South American carnivals are insane. But one of the things I thought was really cool was specifically the carnival in Trinidad, which is really where you see a lot of the Caribbean carnival coming from. It started from a festival called Camboule, which means to burn the cane. And from down here, we mm. know that that's a time of year you burn the cane fields. Mm -hmm. But they weren't allowed to celebrate Mardi Gras with the aristocracy. They weren't allowed to celebrate Mardi Gras with the ruling class. And so they made this Canboule festival into their own thing. And that's where their Mardi Gras grew from. So if you think of the, the way the tree branches, that's where the Caribbean branch sort of starts is with the Canboule, with mm -hmm. the people making the celebration their own. And then they reached even greater heights of pageantry than the American Mardi Gras traditions. That's cool. Uh, all from, I mean, cane sugar was, you know, it drove the world at a certain period of time in a way. And stupid little factoid. This is apropos of nothing. I just think it's freaking cool. Yeah. Um, they had all these restrictions they put on the enslaved population. And one of those restrictions regarded their drums. They couldn't mm. have animal skin stretched drums. So what did they make? They made steel drums. Oh, wow. So the Caribbean steel drum. What's interesting, um, a high school up here actually has a steel drum band that goes down to new orleans every mardi gras season and they play oh, in mardi gras nice. yeah the steel petoskey steel drum band there's a big native population up here and but so i'm guessing it i, I need to ask them how that started doing that but yeah every year for, for the past like 20 years or so they've gone down and they have this big float that's only steel drums everywhere mounted to it and they you know they play christmas songs at christmas up here on it and they go down to mardi gras and march in the parades and play as they walk down the streets over there the steel drum band i just remember yeah. being fascinated by steel drums when i was little i don't remember what mm -hmm. pbs show showed them making them yes i saw the same thing oh man what was i that? would look at was... every 55 gallon drum down the by after that i'm like i could make a drum out of that all i need is a welding torch yeah. like i was convinced but it was because the same constraints that gave us the steel drum were the constraints that allowed Trinidad to develop a carnival tradition, mm. right? Like it was, it was because they weren't allowed to celebrate at go to the big parties or have their own celebrations for Mardi Gras. They made their own and it's become even more beautiful and more enduring. You know, when mm -hmm. these traditions come from people, they survive. When they're kind of imposed on people, I don't think traditions survive very well. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, And I think that's what you see across the world right like in france it's definitely more of a carnival it's celebrated in so many cities in france i had no idea that mardi gras was celebrated as widely in france as it is and it's really funny because i was doing some research i was listening to an interview with barry jean Ancelet, who's kind of one of like basically the guy 
for researching Cajun culture. He was one of the foundational uh, cultural anthropologists who looked at Cajun culture and really got a lot of stuff down on paper. But he was talking about how when they recruited people for the Acadian settlement, they pulled from a very small area from uh, an area called Pitou and um, kind of their outlying areas. It wasn't like, oh, you can't come if you're not from Pitou. But in those areas, you do still see a Mardi Gras tradition, right? So the areas that they pulled from for the Acadians seems to be where the oldest and longest Mardi Gras traditions in France, like kind of like here, other places adopted it over the years. But if you look mm-hmm. at the oldest and most long-running Mardi Gras celebrations, you're seeing in that northern coastal areas of France that the Acadians moved to no, what's now Nova Scotia from. Like the, the Acadian settlers came from that area, but that area is also where Mardi Gras traditions are still going on to this day and trace that sort of almost thousand year of lineage back. Because in France, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot more like what we think of like the New Orleans Mardi Gras. Like you're seeing a lot of costuming. You're not really seeing so much as far as a whole season, but it's definitely going to be like a few days around Fat Tuesday. You're not seeing like mm. months and months and months and months of, no of Mardi Gras up, parades. Like, yeah. But um, right. they have all these sayings about Mardi Gras too. I'm going to try and read them in French. Mm-hmm. Mardi Gras est de verre vêtu, pac médé habé blanc. When Mardi Gras is dressed in green, Easter is dressed in white. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Le soir de Mardi Gras, il faut danser sous les fumées pour avoir des navets. On Mardi Gras night, you must dance on the manure to get turnips. That is bizarre. <laughs> wow. Uh, this, one, this one's for us. Mardi Gras sous la pluie, livre de une fuite. I, that sounds. That doesn't sound like Cajun French. That sounds like something. No, that sounds, that like sounds fancy very French. 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 Yeah. Mardi Gras is in the rain. Winter is running away. Mm. So if it's raining on Mardi Gras, that means it's. I guess it's like kind of like Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Now April showers bring May flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, si le soleil lui tôt le matin, sa maille de Mardi Gras vont bien. So if the sun shines early in the morning, Mardi Gras sewing goes well. And some of these, like the Mardi Gras sewing. It's, again, coming back to that planting time, that yeah. invigoration time. Um, and then this one. Quand Mardi Gras et la lore enlevé, vos balances et fait vos crêpes. When Mardi Gras is here, take out your scales and make your pancakes. Because that's the biggest thing with Mardi Gras in France. It's pancakes. Yeah. Huh. It's crepes. <laughs> that's weird, right? Oh, they don't, th- their galette de roi turned into pancakes. And so weird. they don't even necessarily use king cake in france it's like to this day it's pancake day like people don't even necessarily know that it's connected to mardi gras they're like oh it's pancake day let's have some pancakes but again in those places that are more connected to acadie they have turismo it's like a beignet that's a little bit different than a beignet or they're french so they're gonna say it's different than a beignet but it, it yeah. looks like i lived i read the recipe it's beignets but it's yeah it's either beignets or crepes and pancakes and it's in these areas like that's the biggest thing with mardi gras like you go around in costume and eat pancakes and crepes all day well that's so interesting because like not knowing that i w- i was always under the in- assumption that france would do a king cake a traditional king cake like we get a traditional king cake nope pancakes pancakes wow. so much easier to make i can make crepes I can make crepes all day. In fact, I think I will this year. But like, okay, when we were growing up, Mardi Gras was nothing like anything that we've talked about for me growing up. So like you grew up in a very, very similar sort of environment. But like, what was Mardi Gras when you were coming up? Yeah. So um, we would usually just go to a couple of night parades here and there in Homa. 
that was the big city around us. I didn't go to, like I said, I didn't reach a New Orleans parade till I was 25 years old or so. But like Mardi Gras for us when we were growing up was mostly like Chauvin Parade or Grand Caillou Parade. Because my mom's aunt, she ran the gym at in Grand Caillou and she lived, you know, a couple houses down from the gym. And so everybody knew her, so it would always be a really cool gathering where we barbecue and all that. And then the Chauvin Parade was always fun, too, because we used to hang out with my mom and dad's friends. And uh, they have a son that's my age, so it was all, they're the Laparousas right on the Chauvin Parade route. So, you know, we they'd have like 50 people over or so, maybe more at some points in the day. Um, and they start at dawn, basically, you know, like, because you got to get to Piggly Wiggly and get your, your ground meat and your uh, chicken before the roads close. You know what I'm saying? So you start early and you get it together for everybody who shows up because the parade starts at noon over there. And it basically goes from the Lokaya Pool to Marty J's going up the Baya, you know, going toward Homa. Yeah, so... You know, leading up to the parade, we'd always watch a movie or play outside or whatever and get excited about what's coming. And then for Mardi Gras, we'd stand out there and, you know, which side of the road you're going to be on, you know, you got to know where your friend's going to be. Because you know everybody in the parade, basically, because it's a small town that's like less than 10,000 people or so. You find which side of the road you got to be on for which float and you, uh, <laughs> you know, you have fun for the parade. And then after that, when you're a kid, you reenact the parade and it, Mom and dad, you know, had a couple beers and now they're cooking with uh, great grand uncle uh, <laughs> who's making cracklings and drinking a beer and, or some, some muscadine wine himself, you know, and <laughs> having a good old time and telling stories about the good old days. And that's what I, I oh man, that was a good, that was fun Mardi Gras back then whenever we got yeah. to hang out with all the all the generations of of coonasses from the family <laughs> yeah really i know cool. like i don't know if people might not be familiar even if you're familiar with mardi gras and even if you're familiar with new orleans or cajun country mardi gras bayou mm -hmm. mardi gras it feels like it's dictated by the bayous like with so much down here because mm -hmm. usually you have a bayou right so imagine a river and then you've got a highway on either side if you're lucky yeah sometimes it goes back and forth down the bayou we have a, a highway on either side a two-lane highway yeah same here and so the Mardi Gras parade's only going to run along that main highway. It would do like a big loop. But everybody who lived on a street where the parade would pass, that was fair game, right? So, oh, yeah. They're coming up to the front of the street, yeah. So you'd hang out. Usually the teenage kids would go and walk the route with their friends. That was a big thing when I was in high school. You got to, when you were old enough to go walk the route with your friends, that was like a rite of passage. You'd go, and it, was, it just meant you and your friends were probably going and like just walking back and forth. Everyone in the community's out. You're not getting away with nothing. Somebody right, related yeah. to somebody. You just yeah, kind of you know everybody that you're gonna run into exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we weren't sneaking off to do anything weird. You just that's what you did. You go walk the route, and then whenever the kids who were walking the route came out, the parade's coming, and then everybody would go to the front <laughs> of the street. You watch oh. the parade. You collect all the beads. We would all go back and either keep the party going because you can't leave. Right, yeah. The road's closed. That's it. Until it gets you can't to the, leave into the route, <laughs> and you don't want to leave fast, fast because the people that are the most drunk. People are going to yeah. drink and drive. I hate that they do it, but the, you right. don't want to be the first people out the gate because you want to be on the road with the couillons that had too much yeah. to drink. You got to wait for them to go first. Yeah. yeah. Then you just hang out. I have seen people park across the bayou and cross the bridge to drive home. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. have their car across the bayou where the parade route isn't so that they could drive home that way too if they were trying to leave early. But yeah, that that's some... That's some uh, that's complicated. <laughs> it sounds like a person who wanted to be able to leave so they didn't have to hang out with their family that long. Yeah. So like, oh, I'm not getting stuck. I'm going to go make sure I park on 308 for us. Is, is right, the yeah, no, no, I know it is. That's funny. Uh, yeah, that's how you get the nickels right there. <laughs>
You got to go into 308 because the, the LA1 bridge is always broken. Yeah. Whenever you look at like Bayou Mardi Gras, yeah, it was like a up in the morning, hanging out. It's the way some people describe like Thanksgiving. Like it's a whole, mm -hmm. it's a whole it's a day. day. Yeah. yeah, It's a whole sure. day for the parade. You know, imagine like a big family, a family reunion with like a 45 minute halftime show of a parade. Like that's how, that's how Bayou Mardi Gras tends to function. But it was interesting. I was asking my mom about what was Mardi Gras when she, my mom's uh, 64. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the 70s, God, that her generation loves talking about how much fun everything was in like the late 70s. <laughs> my mom's the same age. Yeah, that's how it oh is. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who let y'all yeah. out of the house? But um, <laughs> <laughs> your parents probably wouldn't see my dad play whenever he was in Halifax. Yeah, maybe. He was in a band. Anyway. Oh, cool. She said there was only one parade down here for a long time, that it was mm -hmm. it was the Golden Meta Day Parade, and that was it. And she, she brought an interesting perspective. She said, you know, before there was money from the oil, people didn't have money for that stuff. No, they couldn't do that. And so she said when she was little, and like what my grandparents would have done for Mardi Gras is it was a dance hall. Hmm. And you would go, and it would be Mardi Gras. They'd have a big party at the dance hall, just a big party. Everybody would bring food. The community would come together, and at midnight – Shut down. That was well, it. Yeah, At midnight, Mardi it begins. And Mardi Gras New Orleans still does that. Same Mardi thing, Gras, yeah. Does that. yeah. It is done. At uh, mid the, the quietest the French Quarter ever is, is at 2 a.m. on Ash Wednesday. Yeah, I think it's midnight, huh? Yeah, it's actually... Well, yeah, oh, but right, it takes them a while to clear everybody out. Yeah, but yeah. at midnight, they clear them out. <laughs> and spray the beads off the street and all that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Huh. But it was not a parade thing. It was not a pageantry thing. It was it was a celebration. It mm -hmm. was something that I've seen I've seen some echoes of in honestly in people being nostalgic about Mardi Gras in Nova Scotia. I found a couple of entries where people who are alive now talking about how their grandparents did it and what they would do is they would celebrate Candlemas, which is mm -hmm. on February second. It also comes back to an older pagan ceremony that's now called Imbolc. What they would do for Candlemas sounds like what they would do for, for Mardi Gras. They would go from house to house on a sled because they were in Nova Scotia, so it was in the snow. And they would collect food from everybody, and then they would cook it up together, and they would all come together and eat pancakes and stay out all night. And the huh. party would last for 24 hours. So they've assigned a different date to it. This is almost always February 2nd, but the practices seem very, very similar. We would need a whole other podcast to go into the evolution from that. I didn't do the research on why they don't have a Mardi Gras per se, but their practices they use for Candlemas, which is always going to be during the carnival season, sounds like what happens contemporarily with the Cajun country Mardi Gras and what traditionally happened with the French Mardi Gras. So you're seeing this similarity, right? This sort of community coming together. And that's what it sounded like to me, what my mom was describing. It sounds like what they were doing in Nova Scotia kind of at the same time but just for a slightly different date okay yeah and it's really interesting because then you go from there and then you look at how that evolved into the cajun country mardi gras and that that's the most esoteric to me so what do you think of when you think cajun country mardi gras because i'm not too familiar with that that seems to have different traditions right it has very different traditions we have another episode i don't know if it's going to come out before or after but mm -hmm. if you're listening to this episode out of the blue Either look one episode ahead or one episode behind, and you're going to hear an interview that I did with a woman named Kelly Landry, who's run the Courier a couple times, and it's a really good in-depth conversation on Cajun Country Mardi Gras. And the Courier itself, for people who don't know, is... Courier means, uh, like, route. Like, a Courier mm -hmm. de Mardi Gras, it is a endurance race. 
It is a cultural oh. celebration. It is a pageant. It is a feast. It is a community celebration that honestly, kind of like New Orleans Mardi Gras, I'm a little intimidated by. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to go this year, but I'm definitely going next year. I needed a little bit more, yeah. I guess, kind of preparation time with the logistics of my life to be able to go. And it's not happening today. But the Cajun country Mardi Gras, if anyone's ever seen like the pictures of really colorful costumes, tall pointy hats that everyone knows are problematic, especially when the face is covered. Right. Because people think it's, you know. People associate the pointy hat because the racist organization that I'm not even going to bother naming because I don't want it to be in our transcript. That imagery is so much more present in the pop culture, in our contemporary culture, that even though they're absolutely not related. So the big tall hats, they're called a capuchon. And uh, it's a ceremonial hat. And it comes from... Again, we're going back to the 1100s. We're talking about a medieval French tradition that wound its way through history. So they wear the miter hats, usually these really fringe. has got like just kind of flashy, very technicolored. It looks like somebody melted a bunch of crayons into stripes, honestly. And that costume is required if you want to go and do a courier this day. Like you don't just get to show up. It is a participatory festival and they'd get dressed up early, early, early Mardi Gras morning. Mm -hmm. And they have a whole cast of characters. You have Le Mardi Gras. The Mardi Gras are just the gathered people, but there are also okay. two separate subcategories. And those are Le Vilain, which mm -hmm. are the villains, and Le Capitan, who's an individual who's in charge. And what they do is they get together. Some will be on horseback. Le Capitan is almost always on horseback. I can't imagine mm -hmm. a Capitan not being on horseback. And they go from door to door and they beg for ingredients for a gumbo. And this oh. comes back to something called a Fête de l'Equimont, which is a feast of begging, again, from medieval France. Wow. And they go from door to door and they ask for the ingredients of a gumbo. And then the whole community comes together at the end of the day and has a huge communal feast. Now, you don't get something for nothing, so wherever the houses that they go to, they perform, they put on a show, they act a fool, they earn their potatoes, they earn their onions. Dude, that seems so cool. Like, I want to see that. So the Mar de Gras, you're just kind of running around. The vilains are the ones who kind of keep it interesting, right? The vilains are the mm -hmm. ones who are going to go and, like knock on the windows and, and make the diab. And like, they're, they're the ones that get the ruckus going, right? They're the <laughs> ones that make sure it stays interesting. But Le Capitan, he's the big daddy of everything. And that's the guy, he does not wear a mask. He usually wears a different type of hat. Le Capitan won't necessarily be wearing So the villains wear the hat. No. The villains wear, wear masks. Okay. The villains wear masks and the villains wear uh, the same costume, but it's usually in black and red. Gotcha. So, That's good colors for a villain. Yeah, good sure. colors for a villain. But Le Capitan, he always stands out. And you can tell the Capitan because he's going he's gonna to have his face visible. And he's going to be carrying a burlap whip. And mm. his job is to make sure that you, they don't do anything like bad, bad. Like a Capitan is in charge of like, I, he's the hall monitor, right? He, he's the one making yeah. sure, okay, nobody's breaking any windows. Nobody's too chock-a-block. He's, he's the one making sure that, yeah, we're having a big hedonistic carnal celebration before Lent, but nobody's going to get a lawsuit, right? <laughs> right, yeah. And um, in the interview with Kelly, she talks about, like, she had a friend who he would jog, like, six or seven miles each morning to get ready for this job, like, the preparation for it, because it's a very serious thing, because the 
Courier de Mardi Gras is a tradition that never really went away, but it definitely dwindled. If you look mm -hmm. at the time between World War II, a bunch of Cajun men and women went out into the world, and then they came back different people. They came back with a different concept of who they were because they'd seen the world. They'd been overseas yeah. and everything. And also you're looking at a lot of post-war austerity down here. Between World War II and oil coming in, you're mm -hmm. not seeing a lot of financial prosperity in South Louisiana. Not that there was that much to begin with. But what really happened is during the Cajun Renaissance, and this is what happened during the 60s and 70s, they decided, okay, people want to know more about Cajuns. Our culture is something unique. Let's re-embrace it. Not resurrect. It hadn't gone away. Mm -hmm. But... You're looking at people who really made a point of like, okay, let's show up. Let's go and do these things. Let's go into the community. Um, and that was like Mr. Ancelet that I'm talking about before. He was part of that. He wasn't just a scholar. He was part of helping people to understand that the music was important, the culture was important, and that it deserved to be celebrated as much as New Orleans, as much as these other Mardi Gras concepts. And so that's when you see people starting to come out. That's when you see that Cajun Renaissance really coalescing. And I think it was because they resurrected something as fundamental as a Mardi Gras. If you can take a line and trace from Mamu to Lupercalia, mm -hmm. that's a direct line. It gets wider, it gets thinner, it ebbs and it flows. But they didn't pick any random festival. They didn't pick like a carnival top tent or a, a business festival or, or a downtown celebration. They picked something like Mardi Gras that doesn't have a central location, doesn't really have a lot of financial buy-in. You don't need to have a big tent and a big to-do. You don't need to take over a downtown to have a Courier de Mardi Gras. You need some dudes, mm -hmm. a couple of six-packs, some horses, and a neighborhood that's willing to put up with your junk and eat gumbo <laughs> with you after. Well, it seems so. It seems like it all ties back to like leaving hibernation and going back into a world that's going to feed you, basically. And this, that's what it feels like to me in this, in, in this rural kind of setting is like they're going out to see who has the ingredients from gumbo left over from winter before, you know, before the earth starts providing for you again kind of thing. I think that's why the Cajun Renaissance worked. And I think the Cajun mm -hmm. Renaissance worked because of Mardi Gras, because you have things like Le Danse de Mardi Gras, right? That it's uh, by the Balfa brothers. That was one of, of, of an incredibly popular recording of the song that they sing at the house to okay. present themselves to people. They're tapping into not just Cajun culture, but a human basic need for this big terrace celebration at this time of year. Mardi Gras is such like as a whole, not just mm -hmm. in those little, you know, not in the niche kind of areas of it, but as a whole, it seems so all-inclusive too, maybe, yeah. which is part of the reason why it's so successful and upheld by a wide variety of people, right? But I will tell you, like, as, as we've been working on this podcast and as we've been doing this, it's very interesting because I both feel more connected and less connected than I ever have with that <laughs> aspect of Cajun culture. Like when yeah. I look at, well, I look at Lafayette food, I look at Prairie Cajun dancing and music and stuff. I feel very close to that. That's still something I can, je comprends, I can understand. I can yeah. wrap my brain around Yes, their food is spicier than ours, but it's okay. I forgive them. You know, not everybody hmm. can be Miss Alzina Toops and cook without even black pepper, and it's delicious. Yeah. But when I look at Cajun culture, Mardi Gras, it's so glaringly different from how we were raised. It's still something that makes me feel like an outsider. 
And it's kind of funny. Like, that's one of the reasons I want to go is because I don't want to feel disconnected from any part of Cajun culture. It's, you know, when I was growing up, we weren't really raised with Cajun culture the way that they managed over in that places where the Cajun Renaissance had a lot more pull. We didn't hear a lot of Cajun music at, at fairs. You know, it was, um, God, who was the headline? Treater. They didn't even say traiteur. They said treater. Not traiteur. It was called traiteur, but everybody called him treater. Yeah. And they, they, it was like, remember that? It was, uh, there's a tear in Mm -hmm. my beard. That was like the most played freaking fair song of like 1987. Oh, yeah. I I remember that song, but I don't remember a lot of Cajun music. Yeah. Maybe y'all had it in Chauvin, but down So we here... did, at, yeah, at um, Lanyap on the Bayou. Uh, the priests used to always sing a lot of old Cajun songs, so we did oh, wow. hear it kind of like as a community, which was cool. And that was always like in August, or not August, like more like October, I think, Lanyap was in the fall. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was always cool, because he kind of really, Chef Brunet, or Chef Brunet, I say Chef Brunet, Pat... <laughs> Priest Brune. Uh, Father Brune. <laughs> Father Brune. It's been a while. I've been a bad. Yeah. I, yeah. Neither of us have Goodness. turned to Rupert. Father Brune. Father Brune. Good man. Yeah. What was Lanyap? Bless his soul. Um, Lanyap was kind of like just like all kinds of uh, booths and games and a fair, basically. Lanyap on the bayou was, it's really cool. It's kind of like Rougarou Fest in a way. And Jonathan used to go, which I, I suspect he's kind of trying to resurrect. Uh, Lanyap on the Bayou, which was endeared by everybody. All the old people would cook their bread and cook their beignets and cook whatever. Any kind of food you wanted, that was Cajun. And, you know, you'd play the games and you'd go have fun and you'd watch the the plays at the Red Dog Saloon. And, oh, yeah, it was just a good time that a lot of people really love and cherish. And, you know, I I, I know a lot of people want to bring that back. But anyway, um, yeah, we're talking about Mardi Gras right now. But I think it's complicated because nowadays, um, and we're the same way. I don't know. My family makes me feel haunt about not knowing some of this stuff. It makes me feel embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I love my mama, same. but whenever I call and ask her stuff, she looks at me like I was taught the history of Bayou Lafouche in grade school. And somehow I forgot, like I forgot my times tables. You know, we didn't have a lot of Cajun music in the house growing up. We didn't, it wasn't something that we listened to. And that's just my family. That's not the whole community. This is just me. But when I look at Cajun Mardi Gras, I see something that it sounds amazing. It sounds like something that I want to go and participate in, but there's no tradition of it that existed down here. And then I realized, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so there was a time when it didn't exist in New Orleans. There was a time when it didn't exist in Louisiana. So I don't know. I just kind of had this like, I had a Mardi Gras moment, right? Mardi Gras epiphany. I had yeah. a Mardi Gras epiphany. And it's like, okay, celebrate it. Go out. Go. Yeah. Go. What's stopping you from? That tradition starts now with you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I've been haunted about it before, too. That's why I'm saying, right? like, I, I can relate to your feeling like that. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's very strange because from the outside, you and I, they would think, well, of course you go chase chickens drunk in a right. fringed hospital scrub, which is the best base for Courier de Mardi Gras costume, I heard. You start <laughs> with a hospital scrub. scrub. And I think that just comes from the fragmentation as we're trying to come back to it. But mm-hmm. there was never really a courier down here, but but it was. It was kind of realizing, same thing with the Christmas things. Like, why don't we put out shoes for Madame de Grandois or Le Christian, like our grandparents yeah. did? Like, there's nothing stopping us from doing it. It's our own hauntness in our own house. It's our yeah. own... It's our own feelings of inadequacy in the face of traditions that I don't feel like we were necessarily given a choice. It's not like we went, I 
reject this culture. It was just how it was presented when we were younger. So if anybody's listening, I give you permission. Celebrate your traditions, whatever they may be, however you want to do them. The way that these things die is by them not happening at all. And you just have That's to have right. the confiance. You know, we have to have these these ideas and like Jonathan's done with Rougarou Fest and invent those traditions for ourselves or bring them back or pull them back. And mm -hmm. I think that that's what Mardi Gras is really about. It's about coming together and reminding ourselves that we're still here. We survived the winter. We come together. It doesn't matter who does it first. What matters is that it offers that primal connection. You know, I think that when you can find a tradition that's going to connect you to so many people, it has the deep songs and the old things. And I think a lot of those traditions are what we're trying to keep alive down here in Outlandish Parish. And thank you for listening to the Outlandish Parish podcast. This is Alexis Bro. Thank you for sitting here with me and my co-host Jonas Savant. As always, if you want to find out more, you can check out the show notes on your podcast listener of choice. You can go to www.outlandishparish.com. You can find the parishioners of Outlandish Parish, our little Facebook group. It is small congregation, but we try to keep it interesting. If you have any questions, you can post them there, or you can also find us on Instagram. Be a and we will see you again soon in Outlandish Parish. <laughs>